Welcome to Eyes on Conservation, episode 188. I'm Kristen Tiesch, the producer and host of today's episode. Before we dive in, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you haven't made a pledge to our Patreon page yet, I encourage you to do so. Producing this content takes a lot of time and hard work. And to do it on a regular basis, we need regular support. So please head over to patreon.com slash wildlenscollective and choose the pledge level. Your support will help us take this podcast to new heights. Now, on to the show. Today's episode is all about goat grazing. Not only are goats absolutely adorable, they also reduce fire hazard, support native plant growth and soil health, and their poop is an amazing aid in carbon sequestration. Goats are being used up and down California to create fire breaks. In fact, a herd of 500 goats in Southern California helped save the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library from the wildfire that broke out in October 2019. Here in San Francisco, if you think you have a growing fire hazard in your backyard, an organization called City Grazing will bring a herd of goats to you to chomp away at the invasive blackberry bushes and ivy that could fuel the fire. So I met up with City Grazing's executive director, Genevieve Church, on Mount Sutro, an open space preserve on a hillside next to University of California, San Francisco, otherwise known as UCSF, where years of extreme drought have created a real fire hazard. The goats have been hired to munch away at the ground cover that could fuel a wildfire and endanger nearby residents. My name is Genevieve Church, and I'm the City Grazing Executive Director. And uh, we are a goat grazing nonprofit providing sustainable land management and fire hazard reduction all around the Bay Area. Can you tell me the story about how you came to work with goats in the city? Uh, I came to City Grazing uh, answering a random Craigslist ad that a friend of mine sent to me saying, hey, you might like this. I just moved back to San Francisco. This was, gosh, uh, in uh, 2012. And um, they were looking for someone to take care of their herd of 40 goats in Bayview while their existing goat herd went on vacation. And I honestly didn't think it was real. Um, I wanted to see 40 goats in Bayview. Uh, I grew up on a cattle ranch, so I knew, and I've worked with many different animals, but I haven't done it, hadn't done it professionally uh, until I came to work for City Grazing. Um, so long story short, uh, it had so much potential that I stuck around and we ended up converting it to a nonprofit and I um, fairly rapidly worked my way up into management and uh, we became a nonprofit in July of 2017. And then tell me the story of city grazing. Like how, like who in the world thought of goats in an urban setting? Right, so uh, we owe city grazing's existence to David Gavrich, who's the founder. Uh, David hired a, uh, a larger goat grazing company, um, which uh, actually the owners of that company are still mentors to us. Um, they brought them in to do some uh, remediation in Bayview, 
And David thought it was such a great idea that it would be fun to do it on a small scale for backyards in San Francisco. And that was the initial inception with a group of rescue goats that were headed to be uh, meat goats. And instead they came to Bayview and they started working in San Francisco all around in backyards. So, wow, that is in and of itself an interesting story. Are these all rescue goats or, you know, where do you find your goats? Our goats, uh, many of them right now are retired dairy goats. So dairy goats have about a five-year career as milkers. And then after that, they can go literally out to pasture. So we take them in um, and help them learn how to graze for a living instead of being milked for a living. So some of our goats came to us as pets. Um, Goats don't really make excellent urban pets. We've taken in goats that, you know, were raised in an apartment. Uh, We've taken in goats that people thought would be a lot easier to maintain in their backyard. Um, But they need a little bit more space and they do better if they have a larger group. Hey, goats. Come on. Come on. Come on, goats. Come on, goats. Let's go. Oh, Kevin. Ben, 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 Ben. You know, a lot of people would look at, you know, look at this forest and be like, what's wrong with it? Why do we need to have goats come in and like pull all of the plants out? Can you talk to me about how the goats are actually helping this forest become healthier? Sure. Uh, So the ways in which the goats help forests become healthier isn't necessarily apparent just looking at it. You might see the ivy and think, but it's beautiful and it's green and that's what we want, isn't it? Beautiful green things on the ground. But what we want is more, you know, we want more ferns. We want more native blackberry. We don't want the invasive Himalayan species. We don't want invasive English ivy or Cape ivy. Neither of those are natives in California and they're all detrimental to our tree's health. So they shift the soil and they um, they strip it of nutrients and they're, they don't break down in the same way. So a biologist could give you a much more specific set of explanations for why this is so. But what we want is to replenish that natural native understory growth that you would see. What city grazing does is make space for a lot of native species to come in. They also tend to be the perennials. So even in an area that's not a forest, if you're going through and you're having the goats eat all the seed bearing plants before they go to seed. So we'll take the goats in and they'll eat, for instance, all the thistle. I've seen areas where if we time it just right, we'll clear an entire field of thistle, which goes back to native perennial grasses the next year. It's a very fast return on certain species. Unfortunately, a lot of things like blackberry and ivy, it takes an annual, really steady, continual return on the goats. Blackberry is especially intense. If you can do uh, three to four clearings in the space of one year, it's much more successful than even an annual return. So it depends on the species, which method of removal we use. But the overall goal is to get plants back under the trees that are actually benefiting those trees, which then helps the trees have a longer lifespan, be less likely to fall in a windstorm, and be less likely to burn in a fire. This is also 
reducing the amount of fossil fuels. If you could talk to me about some of the hidden environmental benefits um, that goats bring, and especially, you know, fossil fuel reduction and the reduction of artificial fertilizers. Sure. Uh, So goat grazing has some really exciting benefits in terms of the reduction of fossil fuel usage and commercial synthetic fertilizers as well. Um, one thing that we find with these guys is that you're, you're skipping the entire step of cutting and hauling away. We do a pretty good job in San Francisco of composting our green waste, but that's still being done offsite. So you've got truckloads that are moving to a composting facility and then you're doing commercial composting as opposed to replenishing the soil that's underfoot at the plant's root base. So goats put that into place. They also keep um, gas-powered machinery off of these hillsides. So rather than coming in and doing cutting, which is not only a fossil fuel powered endeavor, but is also pretty hazardous to people. Uh, goats are really well designed to be on a steep hillside with their cloven hooves and they are, you know, they've evolved to climb mountains. So they're very good at this. Whereas we've got to put on harnesses and have big machinery and it's, it's a lot more hazardous for us to do this work. And in addition, machinery has to come back more often. So the goats will have an effect by being here for a longer period of time of suppressing some of the plant material that's going to come back up. If I take a weed eater to this surface, those plants are gonna start to reemerge the very next day. But the action of the hooves in the urine suppresses a lot of that, especially for things like ivy and blackberry that spreads with runners. We see a real reduction in how quickly it returns. So there's a few different ways in which we really reduce the effect. And then because you're leaving all of the nutrients in the soil, when the goats go away, they've converted all of that stuff that was above ground to a nice layer of topsoil that's still there, meaning less need for any kind of fertilizer to be put down. Can you talk to me about goats' personalities? Maybe the best way to start is to talk a little bit about what goats are like as creatures. Um, We love to anthropomorphize animals. Um, It's important to remember that they all have their own individual needs and goats are actually very different from humans. They have a resting body temperature of 103 degrees. So you can start there and just imagine uh, what that might be like. And Um, They're also extremely social and they're very group oriented. So they'll have a hierarchy. It's very interesting to watch that hierarchy evolve and change over time. So goats that are allowed to stay with each other for years, their social partnerships will become altered with time, very similar to ours. They'll change their social cohort, they'll change their dynamic, or they might keep one best friend for life within the herd. So they definitely, um, if we are taking a small group of goats to a backyard, we'll pick a social cohort that works well together. Um, When we mix them all as the larger herd, so when we bring all, we usually have about 100 animals, when we bring all 100 together or a larger number like 75, we'll make sure it's a big enough space so that all those social dynamics can take place within it without them becoming, uh, anybody being too much of a bully. You were also mentioning that some of them were dairy goats, um, but there are also some male goats as well. So can you talk to me about like, you know, the male goats and where they came from? 
you know, in addition to the female goats? Sure. Uh, well, many of our uh, dairy goats are male. Uh, they are, uh, let's start with what, what happens at a dairy. So for a dairy goat to produce milk all year long so that we can enjoy cheese, they have babies at least once a year. And those kids are frequently male. And a lot of those kids are going to go into the meat industry if they don't come into our herd. So the females will go right back into the dairy industry, but those little males, um, and they are so sweet. They are, are incredibly friendly. Um, we do have them castrated. Um, they actually have a longer lifespan as what's known as a weather for goats, uh, than an intact male. Uh, but it also keeps down on, you know, our, our uh, overproduction of goats, as it were. We prefer to take in animals that need a home rather than to breed to need. So with similar to dogs and cats, like spaying and neutering is a great idea with cats and dogs. With goats, you don't ever spay the females. Um, it's it actually that lessens their lifespan. So it's a really interesting. We try to choose what's best for the animals as well. Let's talk about, you know, how they end up in certain places in San Francisco. So you're mentioning like, you know, residences, but then here today, now we're at UCSF. So can you talk to me about how uh, clients find you and, you know, how you find them? Uh, so many of our larger clients are annual contracts that we service on a yearly basis. Uh, this is a really interesting site here at UCSF Mount Sutro. This is part of the forestry management program for Mount Sutro. Um, we've been in talks with UCSF uh, for as long as I've been with City Grazing. The planning on this project has been immense and incredibly well done. So it's such an honor to be a part of something that's this well thought through for forestry management. Um, and essentially the goats are coming in to eat away the blackberry, the poison oak, and the uh, other invasive understory so that the forest service guys can get in and do some maintenance for some of the trees. Um, and we, I think this is our fourth year of doing work for UCSF. Uh, some of our other clients include San Francisco Sheriff's Department, USF does an annual project with us at Lone Mountain that is great, so much fun. Um, it's a lot about community development as much as it is about maintaining a hillside that's otherwise kind of a fire hazard. So we've got a lot of annual clients that are usually maintaining public land. Sometimes it's something like this where it's about forest management but more often it's fire hazard reduction for backyards it's sometimes it's word of mouth so people will have found out that their neighbors had goats and uh and they'll get in contact with us that way other people find us online so can you explain just you know like the challenge of working in somebody's backyard like that first and foremost we're thinking about safety and containment at any of our sites whether that's a an you know, acres as it is here, or whether it's your 25 by 25 poached stamp backyard in San Francisco. It's always about getting the animals in and out and making sure that they stay where we put them. Um, a nice thing about working with animals that do live out their natural lifespan is that our goats are really used to this work. We keep them as hand tame as possible. Uh, so they're comfortable in the city. They're comfortable with barking dogs. They're used to the routine of going in and out of different spaces. Um, all of that is part of safety. And then containment is all about fencing, making sure that the fencing is secure. So going in and doing a good check on fencing, noticing where there might be some weak spots in some older fencing. So tacking 
up a little bit of, of just reinforcement and making sure the goats are going to stay where they're at for their safety and also for your neighbors. Uh, we, we, uh, we don't want your neighbors to wake up and find that goats are in their backyard eating their roses or something of that nature. So we're, we're pretty careful about where we put them. That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm sure that's it's hilarious until it's your roses. Yeah. The sure good thing happened. about it, if it does happen, roses actually benefit from a heavy pruning. So you know, it uh, it does occur. Anybody want a snack? A little competition for snack. A little bit of ivy that they couldn't get to because it was in a sensitive fenced area, but the client asked us to cut it out, so we're just giving him a little snack. A little greenery to mix in with their dry grass here. Why don't you tell me about what goats like? So, in terms of why people hire us, why would you have goats come to your backyard? It's all about invasive species and supporting California natives. One of the really nice things about goat grazing is that it supports California native species in a couple of different ways. Uh, fortuitously, goats do not like a lot of native California plants. So having them come through, they will go through an area like this, pick out the invasive Himalayan blackberry and eat all of it, but leave the native California blackberry, which is a ground cover. And so the next year you see increased populations of California blackberry and decreased populations of Himalayan. They also come in to eat broom and poison oak, so scotch broom and french broom, poison oak, fennel is a big one in the city, and then ivy. Um, as well as ivy, we've also done some passion flower and some morning glory remediation with great success. So these are all invasives that are, you know, um, both pushing out the native plants and also uh, ivy in particular is, is a really detrimental to trees. It'll drain some of the life out of our trees and our trees are already challenged with our drought patterns. And so we, um, we find that the goats are best when brought in for brush clearing. We do grass clearing, but in your backyard, if you really just need a lawnmower, goats are a very expensive lawnmower. So we do a lot more with brush reduction and ivy reduction and invasive reduction. One of the things that's most interesting to me about this is why goats eat what they eat. And uh, goats have a really high need for minerals. So they're looking for plants with a high concentration of sodium, copper, and selenium. And uh, so blackberry is high on that list, Himalayan blackberry. Unfortunately, so are roses. So they're, uh, they're notorious love for, for getting out and getting into somebody's rose garden is all about seeking out that copper and sodium and selenium combo. So you were mentioning that goats can reduce a fire hazard. So we're entering that fire season in California, which seems to be kind of like getting worse and worse. So can you explain a little bit more deeply on how a herd of goats might reduce fire hazards? Sure. So one of the best ways that goats aid all of us is in fire hazard reduction. And 
That's done most simply by taking away whatever's on the surface that would otherwise turn into dry fodder and tinder. Uh, we do like to bring them in in advance of fire season. Really, if you're waiting till August to bring goats in in an area that's grassy, that grass will have already died and they're not going to be as motivated to eat it. So we bring them in, a, in a, before fire season really starts up. So our high season is April through June. And that's when we like to do those big grassy areas. An amazing benefit of bringing goats into a fire prone area is that they not only take that tinder down, but they convert it into elements of the topsoil. So their poop is a bioavailable part of the topsoil that breaks down almost immediately and helps to store more water in the soil. So those nutrients and that water that they are assisting in building that topsoil storage benefits our trees, gives us healthier trees that have a, literally a more moist core and healthier, stronger roots. All of that really helps to slow the progress of an advancing fire. So we're looking at long-term maintenance. When we do sustainable land management with goats, you're looking at that long-term conversion to healthier topsoil with more native species, and all of that slows the progress of an advancing fire. Um, as well as, of course, the simple, easy to understand equation of if you take it off the top, it can't burn. So we're essentially creating fire breaks in as many places as we can. Um, one of the things that I would like to see change in kind of uh, most people's policy is that we're, we really need to increase the width of our fire breaks that we're creating. So if you're thinking 25 feet is, a, is an a, a acceptable fire break, with these larger storms that we're getting in and more force to the wind, um, we really need larger break areas. So we're recommending 100 foot breaks for people if they're creating a perimeter. And that means the break meaning like from your house to the forest. Right, so the area that you would have grazed, ideally that's gonna be 100 feet along a roadway because we're, you know, we're looking towards like we wanna prevent fires that are starting from accidental sparks. Um, I, you know, the the... Areas underneath power lines are a great example of if those were maintained with goats and maintained at, at a wider distance, some of the problems that came up that caused some of last year's and the year before's fires in California would not have happened. So maintenance is everything, prevention is everything. And if you are in the habit, whether you're bringing in rental animals or you're getting your own, if you're in a rural part of California, put your money into your fencing and bring in a few goats or a few mules or a few cows. They make awesome, awesome pets and they'll keep your fire hazard down. It's a really wise way to go. Now, if you're in a space where you just need it done in a small area and you wanna bring in a grazing company, we're out there and we definitely wanna help you with that. But we also, I'm, I'm more than happy to talk with people over how to just get a situation going on at their house that's really relatively affordable once you install your fencing. You brought up the, the subject of poop. Right. You know, and I can see how that would be awesome in a forest setting. But what do you usually tell people like, you know, clients who, at a residence, you know, on how to deal with all the poop that the goats sure. left, leave over? 
Most people that have us come through are having it done in advance of putting in a garden, putting in some landscaping, in which case goat poop is an amazing soil amendment. It's immediately bioavailable. This means you don't have to pile it up, let it compost, and then spread it back out to avoid nitrogen burn. It's got an already optimal nitrogen balance uh, immediately upon exit from the goats. So you'll go from an area like a yard, really, really, really dense with blackberry. So when you've got a lot of material above ground, that's gonna get turned into a lot of goat poop on the ground. So if that is something that you're not looking to amend your soil with because you're putting in a garden, I usually recommend to people either spray it down a bit, you know, if we're not in a drought year and you've got the ability to just give it a little bit of a spray for the next couple of weeks after the goats are there, sort of similar to watering a lawn, it's gonna break down into your topsoil even faster. Um, another a great uh, drought resistant recommendation is just put down some mulch, some wood chips, whatever you're looking for. If you're going for suppression of species, a lot of people would choose black landscaping cloth and then cut through that to plant in their new items. Uh, we don't do gardening, so we give very minimal recommendations on that. We leave it to the pros, but uh, we do definitely suggest there are ways around it, but I highly recommend leaving it on the ground. What you're doing for our topsoil overall with that is getting those nutrients that were in the plants back into the soil. If you cut and you take that away to compost elsewhere, you're stripping out the nutrients from the ground. If you are raking it up and then putting it in your compost bin, you are taking all of those nutrients off of the soil. And so again, to go back to why it's so effective as a fire hazard preventative to have healthy topsoil, we want healthy topsoil in as many places as we can get it. So leaving those nutrients there keeps the soil flora that much healthier. So we've, we're going to have a, you know, a, essentially a prebiotic situation if you're leaving the goat manure on the ground. So speaking of leaving goat manure on the ground and having a healthy soil system, I would imagine that this is, you know, this, this is also helping our land become more of a carbon sink again where correct yeah so can you talk about the climate change benefits to a healthy soil and what the goats are doing to promote more carbon um, absorption absolutely thank you for bringing up that question so carbon storage carbon sink or carbon sequestration all of these terms are referring to pulling carbon out of the air and storing it in our soil. And the way goats add to that is getting back to the way they support native plant populations. So when you have really healthy perennial natives and the majority of California grasses are perennial grasses, this means that you can think of it like a rose. It's got a root structure, it comes back year after year. You can cut it and have it rebound and be even stronger and increase the strength of those roots. And that's important because the roots of those plants store carbon. They'll pull it out of the air and store it in a crystalline form at the base of their roots. So if you are having annual grazing done and your native population of plants is coming back and healthier and stronger every year, 
every year you're storing more and more carbon in the soil. And what that leads to overall is healthier soil that's has a better nutrient balance for your plants, healthier plants that are pulling yet more carbon out of the air. So it's a cumulative process and it builds exponentially. It's a, it's a really beautiful system if we let it work. And that's why I really encourage people, don't cut away plants and have them hauled elsewhere to be composted. You wanna keep those nutrients on the ground in an inert form. And goats help with that because they have an 80 to 90% sterilization rate on the seeds that pass through their system, which goes back to their really rapid metabolism and their 103 degree resting body temperature. So they're an amazing assist to us in replenishing our ground back to its original conditions. And if we're doing this in as many tiny spaces, I know a lot of people feel like it's just my backyard, what does it matter? But it matters because all of this is interconnected underneath. All of this has ways in which the water moves these nutrients. Our topsoil flows. If you've seen the way blackberry or ivy will climb out of your neighbor's yard and come into yours, you know what I'm talking about. Like all of these nutrients move in the same way. So healthy soil moves. Those healthy soil nutrients go underneath our fences and into our neighbor's yards and throughout our entire area. How fascinating, like this is a fascinating subject. And I mean, I'm yeah. sure when you started working at City Grazing, you you didn't have all this knowledge, but it just sounds like you've gone yeah. down that rabbit hole and you're happy to be there. Oh, definitely. I mean, the the way in which working with goats has given me an ability to be of advantage to the planet, that's such a rare thing for any of us to have in our career. And my gratitude for that is immense. It's you know, it started as a novelty. It was, it was just a novelty for me to answer this. It seemed like a temp job and, and seemed like a way to pass time. And I started reading about how goats benefit our soil. And I just started going further and further and further with it. And it's so encouraging to see that these, you know, we can, we can give these guys a, a longer lifespan doing what they do naturally, right? Going out, wandering around and eating, which is what, if you let a goat go, it would choose to wander about and eat. And so that's lovely in and of itself to get to give an animal back its, its agency as much as we can with safe containment is great. But then to be able to benefit our trees and cut back on the invasive species and then by that benefit our topsoil, which leads to fewer forest fires, fewer fires ripping through our more settled areas and making our even our backyards have really healthy soil. And all this is based around permaculture principles, which I actually knew a lot about before I came into grazing. So getting to integrate those permaculture uh, they're methods to just basically restore our na natural spaces back to their natural functioning. Instead of being weed patches, we can actually create these much more interesting areas with natural wildlife that would be growing there anyway. Part of what city grazing does is also trying to educate people about goats and you know, what they can do in general. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and one of the, one of the questions that I have you know, is, is the, is the gospel of goats being spread to other cities, you know, and other communities, mm. you know, and, and how, you know, or is this just a crazy San Francisco thing? Mm. Yeah. Um, so goat grazing doesn't just happen in San Francisco. 
Uh, it does happen uh, certainly throughout the state, and it's really part of a really old tradition of reducing fire hazard through animal grazing. Um, some of the companies that I'm aware of have thousands of animals and do hundreds of acres at a time. It's a different system than we use. We do specialized boutique grazing. We use different fencing. Um, we have sculpted city grazing to San Francisco's needs and then uh, the greater Bay Area's needs. But there are definitely areas that we're just too small to service. Um, so. At that point, we recommend coming in with one of the larger companies that, that we uh, do recommend to people. Um, in terms of other cities, it is happening. Uh, I've seen goat grazing being used in Washington, D.C. I've heard of a program starting in Chicago. I'm not sure if they got it off the ground. Um, one of the things that makes this, there's a, a long-term like uh, program in Washington State and some of it going on in Oregon as well. Western states, it's a little more common. Um, it's already livestock friendly. Um, and by that, I mean uh, the winters are a little less harsh. We're really fortunate in San Francisco that we can graze year round. So we can do this kind of ivy and blackberry remediation after the high season for grasses. Um, it's tough to run a goat grazing business if you're outside of an area with a year-round grazing schedule because what do you do with those animals in Chicago in the wintertime? Um, kind of tough. And so uh, if some enterprising individual figured out a way to put them all in trains and send them to Florida for the winter, maybe that could work. Uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, have the animal handling expertise to recommend on that. Um, it's, uh, it, we do have to take their needs and their, uh, what the animals themselves require uh, into consideration, and we do that as much as we can. We need to balance the fact that, contrary to popular mythology, goats cannot eat everything. They eat a lot. They eat poison oak, and we have stellar, stellar results with poison oak remediation. We've got an area that we graze annually in the Presidio where poison oak's been reduced in some areas 100% over seven years of grazing. Uh, so that's really exciting. Um, but there are certain plants goats can't eat. They do have certain weather requirements that we need to observe. We want them to be happy, healthy animals when they're doing this. So it's really well suited to the Bay Area and it's very well suited to California in general. Um, and when done properly, it can be used nationwide. How do you think that urban goat grazing can change the world? I think urban goat grazing can change the world by changing the way people think about their relationship with the planet. I think one of our best uh, services is as ambassadors to this concept of working in harmony with the land. I think a lot of us don't even think about it. It's under our feet, it's under our houses, but it's not something that we think of as being interactive or alive. We might think of the plants growing on the soil as alive, but we're not really thinking about how vital the soil is and what it can do in terms of shaping our lives and how we can take that more into consideration and maybe find some of our life satisfaction in different places than we have been in our, uh, our consumer culture. So in making a shift away from consumer culture and choosing to maybe put your money into having goats come and stay with you for a week, if that's what it takes to help you make that shift. And, um, you know, there's a, a lot of different ways that we can just inspire and also bring people together. 
You've been listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 188, City Grazing. That show was produced and created by Kristen Tiesch of Wildlands and edited by myself, Gregory Haddock. As a gentle reminder, I'd like to poke you in the way of the Patreon campaign. Please consider going on there and donating to the cause of the Eyes on Conservation podcast. It really, really helps us to open up all the different ways that we can explore storytelling and really try to tackle some serious, serious subjects. Check out Eyes on Conservation on Facebook and Wild Lens on Twitter and Instagram. For more information about city grazing, head on over to citygrazing.org or email them, goats at citygrazing.org. And uh, Kristen, if you ask me, that was one great show. It's not the same, is it? All right. I promise never to do that again. Signing out. Eyes on Conservation. Thank you so much for listening.